And sometimes we don't realize it and we just act like we've got it all together. But yet there are times when we are reminded of that. And it's good even today to be reminded of that as we sing it. To know that it's true. To know that you're in control. To know that you've got this. And so I pray that as we continue on this uh, journey through Job, that you would help us see again who you are, what you're doing, why you're doing it, and then our response as your people, as your children. May each of us listen this morning and hear, even as the kids earlier were listening to the message and receiving whatever it is you have for us, our King. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I think everybody likes to imagine what's going on behind the curtain. You want to see what's going on in the control room, in the corridors of power. You go into the White House and get a tour and you're thinking about all the huge decisions that have been made there. I got the tour one time, the, the USS Midway in San Diego, and you're like thinking about this incredible aircraft carrier and you're walking through the rooms and seeing where people stayed and slept and seeing where decisions were made and things were happening. And you just kind of get this overwhelmed feeling like things happened here. Decisions were made here. This, this was important. And I think we all have that, especially when we suffer. We, we wish we could just pull the curtain back and see what's going on. Who's making the decisions here? Who's doing this? And to know it's not some raving madman like the Wizard of Oz turning a crank with fire coming out and screaming into a microphone. We want to know that there's sanity going on behind the curtain, that there's a reason for all this. I remember a young family that that just had a baby and the baby was born with spina bifida. So that's a spinal cord issue of, of, with the development of the, of the baby's spinal cord. Uh, the baby was in a hospital in uh, the Milwaukee area and eventually died. And I, got, I went to the funeral, and, and those are those have got to be some of the saddest funerals you will ever go to. I'd be fine if I never went to another one because they never happened again, but I know that they will. And I remember that family speaking after the funeral and talking about being in the hospital and being able to share the gospel with another family that was also suffering with one of their kids. And they said it was so good to be able to speak about Christ to this family and have them hear it and receive it. And I don't recall the details of whether the family got converted right then or not. I don't know that, so I'm not going to say it. But but I know that this family with this child that perished said it was just good to know that God, there's a reason that our child died, that we could share the gospel with this family and that they could receive that and consider it. And I know God had that during that time. We just want to be able to pull the curtain back and say, I see the reason. I know what's going on. I've seen into the control room. I've seen the conversations that happened. I know why this has happened to me. And we get to do that in Job chapter 1. We get to pull the curtain back and look into heaven. Would you turn there to Job chapter 1? Job chapter 1, verse 6. 
If you're looking for it, it's right before Psalms. Psalms is a big book right in the middle of your Bible. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth? a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. And then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, All he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. Well, Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, another came and said, The fire from God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans have formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job rose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to him, From where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth? a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he's in your hand, only spare his life. Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. And then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity, curse God, and die? And he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. 
I just want to know what's the reason. Why is this happening to me? And God just tell me. And in this case, the curtain is pulled back and, and, and God says, take a look. This is what happened to Job. This is the behind the scenes. These are the conversations that happen in the corridors of power. This is what goes on in the throne room of God. We know there are creatures there with wings all over them and eyes all over them. And, and, and there's an assembly going on and there's elders in heaven throwing down their crowns. But it's all quiet when all the sons of God are gathered and it appears to be some sort of angelic meeting. It, 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 it's a work meeting. Let's get together and find out and let's talk to people and see what's going on. And Satan's among them and he steps out. Now, it's difficult and scholars have a hard time with who this person is that steps out. The issue being that he's called the Satan. And it's the definite article that makes it difficult. Why isn't he just called by a name Satan? So is it Lucifer? Well, Satan means adversary. So literally it's saying the adversary steps out and God addresses the adversary. So a lot of scholars think that this is some other being, but it might not actually be the devil. But it is someone that is opposed to God. I'm going to call him Satan, and whether it is or whether it's some other demonic being, I don't know, but but the definite article seems to be the issue. I know, grammar causes problems. That's how it really is. Um, but in any case, uh, this grammatical issue can be resolved by saying, I think, that this being is an adversary of God's people. That's number one. This being is an adversary. We can put that up on, yeah, we got it there. Um, who has this destructive power. And so we have to consider that when we suffer, there may be this destructive being behind it. Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. He's called a roaring lion seeking to devour. He's called the god of this age. And in all those descriptive terms, you get the picture that, that Christians have a target painted on them and they have an enemy. There is an enemy to the people of God that wants to see them fail. Jesus said to Peter, Peter, Satan asked to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you. So, so Satan and, and, and his minions, the demons, there's a target painted on all of us. God's people, they want to see you fail. They want to destroy you. They want to destroy people in general. I think it's no accident that when we look and we see demon-possessed people in the New Testament, they're always trying to like destroy their own flesh. You know, they're cutting themselves, they're throwing themselves in the fire, that there's just all of this destruction of the body. It's like a horror movie, you know, but it's like real life. It's like real life. Because I think I think the idea is people are made in the image of God and, and, and demons can't hurt God, but they can certainly hurt the image of God. And that's you. And how much more you that are being transformed in the image of Christ. Again, the target's here. If you don't want the target, then don't be a believer, you know, and, and, and don't do this. But, but this is who we are. This is spiritual warfare. And we have an enemy of our soul. We have an adversary that accuses us. Knowing this, then, I think that when we suffer, we have to take into account that it could be something demonic going on. Satan does do so much in the world that is destructive. And I think this demands that I have to be careful in how I talk about it. 
Because, I don't know about you, but natural disasters happen, and then some Christian gets on TV and says, this is God, you know, uh, cursing this this place. He sent this hurricane. He sent this earthquake. And he's, you know, and it's like, how do you know? How do you know what happened? Did God tell you that? I think we just have to be careful because Satan is a destroyer. He's an accuser. He's an adversary. He likes destroying the flesh. He likes destroying people. This is what demons do. We have an enemy. Let's call it out. Now, um, the good news here is that Satan is on a leash. I'm going to get to that a little bit more later, but, but Satan can't do anything that he's not allowed to do. That, 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 that he's not, he's not, he's not the roaring lion that can just take anybody out. He's a lion on a leash. And that is very different from the lion of Judah that has no leash. Okay? And that's who you worship. Your God is not on the leash. And you gotta remember that. Satan can do a lot, but he can't do more than what God allows him to do. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. It's got to be a frustrating existence to be a lion on a leash. Martin Luther said, even the devil is God's devil. That's true. And so we need not fear him as we fear the Lord who has control over all this. It's good to start there, but 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 let me let me say this. I'll get to my next point. The next thing I want to point out to you, and when we look behind the curtain, um, I don't I don't know what Satan's doing in heaven. By the way, I think I sh- I think I should admit that I I don't I don't know how that works. You know, all the angelic beings are there, and Lucifer's one of them, or this other being is one of them. I don't know how that works. I also don't know how it works that that God brings up Job to Satan. You know, had you considered my servant Job? As a matter of fact. You know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, I hope God doesn't bring up my name. You know, it's kind of like, <laughs> right? <laughs> Did you consider Nile that guy? Oh, yeah, I thought about him. I, no, I, I don't want to be talked about. You know, keep me out of the conversations. Um, but, but, but that's not in our control, right? Like, that's not how it goes. So I can't tell you, like, I, I can't explain how this works that God brings up Job. But I do know this. God already knows that Job will pass the test. This is not some mystery to God, like how this is all going to play out and what Satan is going to say and what God's going to allow. Like he knows the end from the beginning, and so you can trust that even as he brings up Job's name. He knows his character. This is not like a God saying, well, I guess we'll have a test and I'll find out. It's not that. The last thing I'll say about Satan, and then we'll move past him, is think about this. I'm mentioning him this morning because he's in the text. But the rest of Job does not deal with him. I want you to think about that. Like, like he enters the scene in heaven and, and there's a conversation and, and he is impudent in the way he deals with God. I'll, I'll point that out later too. But, but, but once he exits the scene and, and, and does the boils on Job and all these bad things that happen, he's done. He's done. Like, he's just not around for the rest of Job. And I think that's so appropriate that that even though Satan has done this, God deals with Job by the end of Job one-on-one, right? Job's issue is not with Satan. His issue is in his relationship to God. Because I have no relationship to Satan and neither should you. 
He's the enemy. That's who He is. We resist Him. We fight Him. We pray against Him. We use the spiritual warfare, our armor. But, but I don't have a relationship with Satan. I have a relationship with God. And I deal with Him. He deals with me. And so when Satan exits, he's out for the rest of Job as he should be. Pointing that out. So, even as we think about what Satan is doing, I don't want to talk, I don't want to overly talk about him. I don't want to talk about him too much. I don't want to give him too much credit. Exit Satan. That, that's it. Something to chew on at least. But to know that he's there and know that he is opposing God's people, which is us, is good to look at. Um, the second thing I want to point out as we, as we pull the curtain back is that we are given the reason Job suffers. We are told a definitive reason Job is suffering. Because it goes like this. God says, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan says, well, yeah, by the way, um, did you know, God, that, that the only reason Job worships you, the only reason he's such an upright man with great integrity, righteousness, the only reason he fears you is because you give him stuff. You've made him the wealthiest man. Easy to worship a God like that. You know? If some millionaire wanted to befriend me, I'd be their friend. Let's just be honest. So would you. Even if that person made fun of me every once in a while, I'd probably still be their friend. You know? <laughs> if they wanted to hand out money to me and pay for stuff and be like, oh yeah, you're my bud. You know? That, that's, there's something selfish in human nature where we would probably do that. If you could be, if, if a celebrity went to church here and they had their vacation home in Three Lakes and you could be friends with them or somebody else just walked in off the street, you're taking the celebrity. I mean, let's just, that, hopefully you'd resist that. But let's just admit we have something in us that does that. And Satan says, don't you know, God, that all people are like that? And the only reason Job worships you is because you give him good stuff. He's got a big family. He's the wealthiest guy around. Of course he worships you. But if you take everything away from him, he will curse you to your face. Think about what uh, Satan is saying to God. You are not worthy of Job's worship. Having a relationship with God is only worth it if you get stuff, earthly, material, blessing from it. That's what he's saying. You, God, are not worthy. I, I didn't say that out loud. It is such a blasphemous, ugly, impudent statement to say to God. And so I've often read the text like, like Satan is questioning Job's character, and he is questioning Job's character. I know he's saying that. But I think underneath all that is something much deeper and uglier, and that is questioning God's character, his worthiness. We often say God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, but do you believe it when, when the bottom falls out? I have health insurance, and if my health insurance doesn't cover something that I need coverage for, I'm going to drop them and get insurance that will help me. That's the way we are. That's the way I am. If God is not doing what I think He should be doing when I'm going through a hard time, do I drop God? Or do I say, God, just knowing you is the best? Is my treasure in what God gives me 
Or is God my treasure? That's the question. Is God's blessings the treasure or is God himself the treasure? Is heaven awesome because I get to live forever? Or is heaven awesome because I get to be with God? And be with my Jesus who died for me. You know, what's the greatest thing? The, 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 the gold on the streets? Or the one who lives there? That's the question we all have to answer because when the bottom falls out, Am I going to hold on to a God that is good and worthy and holy and loved and righteous? Or do I let that God go because He hasn't done what I think He should do? And really I'm just in it for me. And that's the accusation Satan makes about Job and I think more importantly about God. So what we're saying is the reason if we pull all this together, the reason Job is suffering is to demonstrate the worthiness of praising God. Demonstrate the worthiness. It's about God's glory. You ever you ever thought when you were suffering, like, I know this is going to glorify God, I just don't know how. That statement is altogether true. You may not know how it's going to glorify God, but it is going to glorify God. And even you praising God while you're going through it demonstrates His goodness demonstrates that that relationship you have with Him is a treasure. He is the greatest treasure. Just doing that. And so so when, when, when Job loses it all and he falls down and, and, and he mourns and he rips his clothes and he worships, I know he's got more to come. You know, I, I know their friends are going to come in and he's going to struggle and wrestle. He's even going to get close to accusing God. and, and I, All that's coming. But in that moment, on the ground, he is passing the test. I praise you, God, because you are good even though you've allowed this calamity. You've taken away. There it is. The other thing I'll point out to you that's incredible in this whole thing is, uh, as far as I can tell, Job is never told why he's suffering. You think about that. You get to the end of the book, and, and, and God never... Like says, Job, let me tell you about this conversation I have with Satan. You know, it, it just never goes there. Like you're told, Job is never told. Isn't that, I think I find that somewhat comforting to know that God's not going to just tell me everything and, and all the whys. That there are some things I can say like this, that this is about the glory of God. I can say that, but maybe I don't know all the details. Maybe I don't know how God is glorifying Himself through this suffering, but I know that He is. I don't know how He's using this suffering, but I know that He is. Because Job is never told why. We are. And finally, lastly, um, we see that God is sovereign over the reality and extent of Job's suffering. So in chapter 2, when you have that part 2 and, and everybody comes and presents himself before the Lord again and Satan's there and, and, and I love, and the Lord says, where have you come from again? You know, it's like, it's like a repeat. Everything's a repeat. It's just a brilliant way of, of putting this narrative together. You know, and he's like, I've been walking around on the earth, you know, and it's, and, and the Lord says to Satan, have you considered, verse 3, 2, 3, do you consider my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth still, you know? a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. 
He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. And then Satan, again, with his ridiculous accusations, he says, skin for skin. And, and this is why I don't think, I mean, we're either dealing with the devil here or we're dealing with the demonic, you know, being. Because this person is answering God, in, in, and, I, and I feel like an almost disrespectful way, you know. Skin for skin, which seems to be this proverb that says, um, let me put it like this, skin for skin. It, it's hard to get exactly what it means, but it's kind of like, it's kind of like, if you take everything else away from me, but I still have my life, at least I have my life. But you start taking my life away from me, you know, my own health, I'm thinking I'm going to die. That's different. And I, and I don't know, we don't know like how Job was afflicted. I think I'm, I think next week I'm going to talk about his different afflictions, like what happened to his body. But, I mean, we know all of his kids died. His wealth is gone. You see the catastrophe of it, that it all happens one after the other. You see the poetic language it's used when the servant comes in and says, and I alone escape to tell you. You know, you're supposed to get this overwhelming sense of like, really? And even when you read it, you've got like the, this army coming from one direction, the wind's blowing from another direction, and, and this, you know, you kind of get like north, south, east, west, it's all converging on Job. Ever feel like that? See what the writer's doing? Like he's, he's describing the way we feel when like this is breaking and that's breaking and that's breaking and it's like everything around us, wherever we turn, nothing is going right. You felt that way and this is Job. But I see that God is sovereign over the reality and the very extent of Job's suffering. And so if every hair on my head is numbered, if that's the truth, then Satan can't harm a hair unless God allows it to happen. God is sovereign. He rules. He's in the control room of heaven, ruling well. And yes, He allows things, but I can trust in the very extent of my suffering is under the authority of God. When Jesus said, all authority in heaven has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and lo, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. He ascended to heaven after saying that. And when he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, then he went to heaven. I think the idea is, I just heard someone at the men's conference yesterday, no regrets. Somebody made the point to say, I thought it was a brilliant point. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Pause. And everybody might have been thinking, oh, he's going to set up his kingdom right now. He's going to like rule visibly right now. But instead he went up to heaven. And the connection I would make to this text today is he went up to heaven to sit down at the right hand of the Father in order to rule over the world. And even though Satan is still the prince of the power of the air, he's the defeated adversary, defeated by the cross. And Jesus is in that place of power and ruling. And oh my goodness, you can trust him in that place. Closing the curtain, what do I see? In closing the curtain, I see a man on his face, ripped clothes, worshiping. He's lost it all. His wife is even against him. And he worships. Worship team, would you come up? Let's pray.
Father, we want to worship. We want to praise You. And whether whether we're going through the trial or whether life seems very smooth and you have, you have leveled the mountains so that we could walk on level ground, no matter when good times are bad, I pray that we could respond in praise to who You are. Father, I thank You that we don't have to uh, talk to the devil about this and, and relate to him and ask him why. I'm thankful that he can just exit after he's done his destructive work and we get to deal with the God, the Lion of Judah that really does reign, that is unleashed. I praise you for that reality. You are a good God. Oh, that you are a great God. May we praise you accordingly, even now, in Christ's name. Amen.